before the carols and the candles, before the trees, before the lights, before the tables are set and the meals are made, before we open our arms to welcome a new Christmas season, let's not forget to stop and prepare, but not for the parties, and not for the presents. This year, let's stop and prepare our hearts for the real reason we celebrate. Good morning, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. I mean, it is here, and it's exciting, and I love, I love, I love this time of year. And our series is called Christmas Welcome Jesus, because Christmas in our culture has really become about everything but Jesus, right? I mean, like, yeah, a lot of Christmas things happening out there, but not a lot of Jesus being talked about. I want to just kind of tell you some of the things that Christmas in our culture has become about. First of all, Christmas has become about this, shopping, all right? This is Black Friday, 23 billion, that's with a B, right? Okay, billion dollars was spent on Black Friday in the U.S. So 9% more this year spent on Black Friday than even last year. But one day's not enough, right? Because we've got Cyber Monday. And I want you to see this, that $7.9 billion was estimated spent on Cyber Monday. That was a 19% increase from last year. So a lot of shopping happening. Maybe you've finished your shopping. But this statistic is the one that gets me. 5.5% is the number of shoppers that will take out a personal loan to pay for Christmas. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> please, please. I was a finance major in college. Just order, just encourage you. You know, you never take out a loan on a depreciating asset. Okay, so don't, don't do that. But I know we want to give gifts because we love the people around us. But don't do that. But a lot of people will. But don't want you to see that here the shopping is this, $717 billion in total retail sales from November through December. So a lot of shopping. Some of you, you've finished your shopping. I'm envious because I haven't, but, but you guys are good. You've got it done. Others are going to be there on Christmas Eve finishing it up and then coming to church. Okay, don't miss that. But shopping is a big part of Christmas now. Santa is a big part of Christmas in our culture, right? 500,000, that's the number of letters to Santa, at the New York post office alone. So one post office, 500,000 letters to Santa, pretty crazy. But it's also about this decorations. This is the time of year we decide we're going to decorate the whole inside of our house and the outside of our house and our cars. And, you know, it's like, it's like 14,700 people Went to the ER for decorating, so just be really careful this year when you're doing all the decorating, okay? That's just kind of a heads up to you. And then this, presents, 850 million presents, this estimated number of packages by the U.S. Postal Service. I think we're wrapping most of those at the wrapping station in the mall, but there's a lot of presents that are happening. And then entertainment, 37 new Christmas movie premieres on the Hallmark Channel, all right? So <laughs> some of you are super excited. You're like, I'm going to see them all, all right? You know, others are like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that takes away my football, so I got to go upstairs, you know? It's like, but there's a lot of Christmas that's happening, a lot of Christmas that's happening. Now, none of these things are bad, right? None of these things are bad. In fact, they, a lot of them come out of things that are good. I mean, we give gifts. Why? 
Because at Christmas, God so loved the world, he gave, right? So we want to give gifts to those that we love. Santa came from St. Nicholas, right? So you see a lot of these things. But, but into our culture and into our lives and into our homes, we want to say, Christmas, welcome Jesus. <laughs> welcome Jesus. I mean, it is Jesus' birthday that we celebrate, right? It's the Christ of Christmas. And in a culture where it's so easy to miss Jesus, in a culture where it's so easy to get to the 26th and say, hey, you know what, we got a bunch of decorations and a bunch of shopping and a bunch of presents and a bunch of debt, but, but did we experience Jesus? And we want to say, we want to be a people who says, yes, we want to experience the Christ of Christmas. So Christmas, welcome Jesus. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles for you in the back. Love for you to grab one, make it your own. You can put your name in it. Uh, also, if you have a mobile device, you can access the scripture uh, there at version. We'll put the scripture on the screen. But we're in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1. Now, Matthew is kind of the hinge of the Bible, okay? I mean, from the Old Testament, and then Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and it's the hinge. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, so this is like a first-hand account. I mean, this is like Matthew, you know, he's around there. He was probably the journalist of the group. He's writing everything down, everything that's happening. And so Matthew's like laying it out. And Matthew's audience, who he's writing to, is to the Jewish people. He's writing to his own people. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a business guy. He was probably kind of wealthy. He probably made a good amount of money. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, follow me. And he's like, I'd much rather go with you than do all this kind of stuff. And, and he's following Jesus but he had a heart for his own people. And so when you read Matthew, you're kind of like looking at it going, oh, wow, there's lots of references to the Old Testament. And Matthew's whole point is to say, Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. Don't miss him. Jesus is here. Everybody, that we've been waiting for him, and he has come. Now, T, last week, did a great job talking about the first 17 verses. And the first 17 verses is kind of the genealogy, and we skip over it a lot. We're like, I can't pronounce those names, so forget it. You know, we kind of move on through there. But, but the genealogy is important because everybody knew, all the Jewish people knew, hey, that Jesus was going to be, the Messiah was going to be the son of David, going to be the seed of Abraham. And so he says, look, here he is, the Messiah, Jesus, 42 generations, and here he is. So pick up here in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, right? Messiah, the Christ, the one we were waiting for, the Savior of the world. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So when you read that, there's really three main characters, right, that kind of jump out of the, off the page to us. So you see, you got Joseph. You've got Mary, and you've got Jesus. You've got Joseph. Now, what do we know about Joseph? Well, it tells us that Joseph, right, was faithful to the law. Joseph was a righteous man. But Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. It, it, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
Now, you can imagine Joseph's like, uh, you're pregnant, really? You know, it's like, that's not the Holy Spirit, really? You know, like, it took a lot of faith. This guy had to be a man of faith. Now, you read this, and, and we, it's kind of hard to understand with our Western mindset, right? They're like, pledged to be married, and then, you know, then he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he doesn't want to divorce her quietly, right? You're like, what do you mean, they're pledged, or they're divorced, are they married, are they not married? Back then, it was different than the way we do it today. Today, it's boy meets girl, girl meets boy, right? They fall in love, they get engaged, they get married. That's kind of the way we do it. Back then, they had arranged marriages. All right, now, as the dad of three daughters, I'm all for bringing that back. I got to tell you, I'm like all about arranged marriages, right? In fact, I've been scoping out some of your sons, you know, (laughs) like checking them out. Okay, check it out. I mean, but back then, they had these arranged marriages, and here's the thing. You would have a chance to say no, okay? It wasn't like, okay, it was just, you know, here you go, that's who you get. They would have a chance to meet, and at that point, usually the boy's a little bit older, they meet the girl, and the girl could say, uh-uh, he's ugly, no way, you know? They, could, they had this chance right there to say no. But if they said yes, then they entered into this kind of pledgeship, and they were legally married. They were legally married. Now, the husband-to-be, right, the husband goes off, and he, like, gets the house ready. He's going out and getting a job. He's getting everything ready. And that would take about six months to a year. And then he would come back for his bride. And he would sweep her off her feet, right? He would take her back. There was a big wedding, a big reception, big celebration. So they're in this pledgeship. They wouldn't consummate the marriage until the wedding. But they're in this pledgeship time. And Joe finds out, hey, Mary's pregnant. And Joe's like, what? You know? And then an angel appears and says, hey, listen, Joe, seriously. It's from the Lord. It's from the Lord. And you got to imagine how much faith that took for Joe to say, okay, okay, I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe. I'm going to follow God. Now, Joseph was an ordinary guy that God used in an extraordinary way. But think about this. When God was choosing an earthly dad for his son, he chose this guy. And when God was choosing an earthly dad for your son, he chose you. He's choosing a mom, he chose you. He chose you. And you may be ordinary, but you've got an extraordinary calling on your life. And he chose Joseph. Also, you see in here, you see Mary, and Mary was amazing. I mean, unbelievable. And we know in Luke chapter one, the angel comes to Mary and says, hey, Mary, you have been favored. You have been chosen to be the one who brings the Messiah. It brings the Messiah. And Mary's like, her first response is, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Right? I mean, like, what in the world? How, how is this going to work? And the angel's like, well, it's going to be from the Lord. It's going to be from the Holy Spirit. And Mary, without figuring out all the details and understanding everything, I love when she gets to this point. She's like, may it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. And the humility. Now, Mary is an ordinary person, but Mary is the biological mother of Jesus. Mary is the biological mother of Jesus. She's one of the most respected women in history. More little girls are named Mary after her than any other woman in history. I mean, here's Mary, but Mary was an ordinary person who just said yes to God. And when she said yes to God, you got to think, I mean, Mary knows she's given up her dreams, right? She's got these dreams for this big wedding. Maybe she already sent out the invitations, you know, and there's going to be the reception, and she's going to have this, you know, picket fence around her house. I mean, she's she's got this whole thing mapped out, and God comes along and says, Mary, I've got another plan. But trust me, trust me, you're going to love this. you got this incredible privilege to follow me and trust me. I want to tell you, God's plans are always better than our plans. 
And we could put our head down and say no to God and kind of do our own thing, go this direction, but God wants to do something extraordinary in us. And here's Joseph and here's Mary, ordinary people that God used in an extraordinary way. But the third person in this story is not ordinary at all. And that's Jesus. And Jesus is fully God and fully man. And what you see here is the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. You see, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a woman. You see the divinity that God came near. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what makes Jesus so special. He is fully God. And what Matthew is saying is, hey guys, don't miss him. And I know, look, he's born in a stable, right? You may be looking over in a palace and thinking, but look, the divine has come in the midst of the ordinary. God is here. And our world will never be the same. So the Gospel of Matthew spends the next 28 chapters laying out that Jesus is the Son of God, the divinity of Christ. He does that in five ways. First of all, he says this, no ordinary birth. No ordinary birth. You guys realize that we all have a nativity? We all have a nativity story. And that is the story of where you were born. Now, for most of us, our nativity is a hospital, okay? Now, none of us are setting up a ceramic hospital at our house and going, hey, look at this, you know, here's my nativity, right? You know, none of us are doing that, right? Maybe, maybe your nativity is a car because you didn't make it to the hospital, but you got this car, right? Or maybe it's a house where you were born. But we all have a story. But here we are 2,000 years later setting up nativities in our home because it was no ordinary birth. We know from Luke chapter 2, angels appeared. Angels appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around And these shepherds saw it. These shepherds got it. These shepherds went to worship. And I often think, there had to be more people in Bethlehem that saw the glory of the Lord. And maybe they were busy shopping. Maybe they were busy doing something else. Maybe they had an Hallmark movie on. I don't know what was going on. But but for whatever reason, they didn't say, hey, I want to go see Jesus. (laughs) But these shepherds said, hey, I want to experience Jesus. Jesus, the divine in the midst of the ordinary. Some magi came from a long way away and said, I want to see Jesus, God, coming near. This was no ordinary birth. Jesus, fully God, entering into our world. As you continue on through Matthew, you see Jesus performing miracles. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, if you want to turn over that direction. It starts off in Matthew chapter 8 with Jesus healing a man with leprosy. And then the centurion, and, and you see Jesus healing many. And then you come to verse 23. It says, then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Matthew's there. Matthew's in the boat. And suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. Hey, maybe you're in that boat today. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe... In your life, man, there's this like chaos around you. You feel like maybe you feel like the wind and the waves are all around you. Maybe there's chaos in your family. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe at your job. Maybe in life it just feels like I'm in the midst of a storm. I'm in the midst of a storm. And it says, but Jesus was sleeping. Jesus wasn't panicked. <laughs> Jesus wasn't worried. Jesus was at peace. 
The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, exclamation point. We're going to drown. Now, many of these disciples were experienced fishermen. So, you know, this is a serious storm, right? If they're going over to Jesus, panic. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, help. And I love what happens here. He replied, verse 26, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? And maybe you don't need to hear anything else today. Just hear this. Jesus is in the boat with you. And he's saying, you have little faith. Hey, why, why are you so afraid? Hold on. I got this. Trust me. I'm with you. I'm for you. I care about you. I love you. And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And Matthew's going, look at the divinity in the midst of the ordinary. Even in the storms, Jesus is performing miracles, and the wind and the waves obey him. And then Jesus takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a, a paralyzed man lying on a mat. So picture the scene. Here's Jesus. These buddies walk up. They got their friend who's paralyzed. They bring him to Jesus. Jesus has been healing all these people. And they're like, hey, here you go, Jesus. We're bringing him to you. And when Jesus saw, notice this, their faith. It wasn't the faith of the guy on the mat. It was the faith of the guys who brought him. And you and I have this privilege to bring people to Jesus today through prayer. When we pray for our friends, our coworkers, we pray for our own kids, we pray for our own family, we pray for our own marriage. We, we come and when Jesus sees our faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. It's one thing to heal physically, but, but wait a minute, spiritually? He's saying your sins are forgiven? And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. I love that. Wow. And they praised God who had given such authority to man. God is here. And everything's changed. The divine in the ordinary. Those same religious leaders kept saying to Jesus, you're blaspheming. You say you are the Son of God, you say you are God, and Jesus begins claiming, I am God. In fact, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He's making these incredible statements, and the religious leaders, they've had enough, they hand him over to be crucified, and he's taken, and he stands before Pontius Pilate. And in Matthew 27, it says in verse 11, meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the son of God? You've said so. Jesus replied, yep, that's me. I'm here claiming to be God. He's crucified on a cross. He's placed in a tomb for three days, dead. Seems ordinary. 
You live, you die. But not with Jesus. It's not the end of the story. Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew. Matthew's like, guys, get this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him. Now I have told you. Jesus conquering death. I mean death, right? The big bully on the block for which everybody was afraid. Nobody defeated death until Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he was in that tomb three days and he arose so that you and I could have eternal life. You know, you can go and visit the tombs of a lot of religious leaders who've lived throughout the centuries. You can go and visit their tombs all over the world. But you go to this tomb and Jesus' tomb is empty because he is alive. And the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and Jesus conquering death. Every time you see an activity, I think there ought to be an arrow pointing to a cross. I think there ought to be an arrow because we celebrate the birth because of what Jesus did for us. Praise be to God. You know, the Immaculate Conception is so essential to our faith to understand that Jesus is God. So what do you believe about Jesus? Was, I think everybody in the world would say, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus, oh, he was a great man. He was a great man, but so much more. There's other religions who would say, Jesus was a prophet. Even in their holy book, Jesus is a prophet. Oh, so much more. See, what makes Christianity different is Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is alive. So what do you believe about Jesus? C.S. Lewis says this. C.S. Lewis says that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. I mean, really, he was either a liar, I mean, he claimed to be God. Matthew's like, don't miss this. Don't miss the divinity of Christ. He claimed to be God. He was either a liar or he was a lunatic. He was delusional because he really believed it. And I don't think that's right, because you look back through history and everybody's like, wow, I'm going to affirm Jesus. This is great. Or he truly is Lord. He truly is who he says he is. He truly is the Lord over all. And as Lord over all, that he has entered into this world and entered into your life, into my life, to bring hope, to bring grace, to bring love, that he is here. So what do you believe about Jesus? Not what do your parents believe, not what does your church believe, not what does culture believe. What do you believe? Is Jesus the Lord of all? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you're thinking, you see all this, how do people miss him? They're not looking for the divine in the ordinary. 
But Jesus is here. And Jesus has come. The religious leaders back then, they wanted a political Messiah. They wanted somebody to come in and change their circumstances. They wanted somebody to come in and, and overthrow the Romans and, and return the Jews to a place of prominence like they had under King David or King Solomon when they were wealthy and, and things were great, you know. And, and then Jesus comes along and says, hey, guys, I'm doing so much more. I'm not just changing your circumstances. I'm changing your heart, <laughs> You know, for all of us, we, we live with this guilt. We live with fear. We, we live with guilt over things we've done or things we haven't done. Especially this time of year, there's a lot of mom guilt, right? Because we look at Pinterest and we think Christmas has to be just like Pinterest. And so we just go, I can't get everything done. And we just feel like, oh, this guilt, this guilt that weighs us. And when Satan comes along and starts bringing up this guilt, you just go, get behind me, Satan. Jesus paid it all. And when the fear enter in, the fear of failure or the fear of death or the fear, he said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus is with me. Jesus is for me. Jesus has come. A lot, a lot of people are like, well, well if God's here, then, then why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that? I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? But really, are there any good people? I mean, if you were to search our hearts and our minds, would you say, man, there's anybody who's perfect? I mean, anybody? Billy Graham never thought he was good enough. Mother Teresa never thought she was good enough. And you kind of go, wow, okay, that's a high standard there. I think the question is this. Why is there even good in the world? It's because God stepped in. Why is there generosity in the world? It's because God stepped in. Why is there love in the world? It's because God stepped in. God stepped in to our mess. God stepped into our hurt. God stepped into our pain. God stepped into our guilt. God stepped into our fear. God stepped in. And our lives will never be the same. And the hope and the joy and the peace that God wants to bring to you and to me. You should call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? So that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That we have hope, that we have life, that we have peace, that we have joy because of what happened at Christmas. God came near. Now the Immaculate Conception, right? It's like a huge miracle. But to me, it's kind of like a level five miracle. A level 10 miracle is that that same Jesus born 2,000 years ago is still alive and working in hearts and lives today. And lives are being transformed. And so this Christmas, don't miss the divine in the midst of the ordinary. Because God is here and God is working. God is moving. God is changing hearts and God is changing lives. And in the midst of the shopping, in the midst of the presents, in the midst of the movies, in the midst of all those things, look for Jesus because he's here. He's here. Go back to that first nativity. Go back to God entering in this world. Go back and realize that you are loved. And God promises to never leave you or forsake you. Christ is here. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? Go back. 
What happens so often, though, is we get caught up in the familiarity, we get caught up in the ordinary, we miss these holy moments. Do you remember your baptism? You remember if you were baptized, you remember the joy, you remember the excitement, you remember you were so excited. It's like for Matthew, when Jesus called him and he's like, hey, I want to invite all my friends over, come and celebrate. He invited all of his friends at a big party, wanted them to meet Jesus. We were so excited. But what happens then is the familiarity and the ordinary, and we, we get away from spending time with the Lord or praying or reading God's word, and we're like, oh man, I just feel like it's kind of gotten stale. Go back. Go back to that holy moment where you're like, oh, yes, that love and the grace. Hey, you remember, remember when you got married? <laughs> remember when you were so in love? You were just like, oh, man. And then what happens? The familiar and the ordinary and life gets busy and you stop spending time and you stop sending flowers and you stop writing cards and you stop doing date nights. And, and after a while, you know, one of the people kind of checks out and you're like, whoa, 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 go back. Go back. Or you remember coming home from the hospital and holding that child? And you just looked with awe. Wow, that God would entrust the child to me. And then what happens? The familiar and the ordinary, right? And life gets busy and gets crazy, and all your conversations center around homework and you know, soccer practice and video games, and you're kind of like, ah, and then they grow up and they move out. Go back. Go back to that holy moment. Look for the divine and the ordinary God is here. Look for the divine when you see a volunteer who's ringing a Salvation Army bell and think about generosity and think, gosh, God's here. When somebody takes an angel tree and says, I want to do for somebody else, or when somebody volunteers at the wrapping station and says, hey, I want to help, I want to give back, I want to volunteer. Look for God in those moments. When you hear a baby's cry, or you hear Christmas carols and Jesus being sung when you're walking through the mall. Look for the divine and the ordinary because God is here. Last Saturday night, my, uh, I was you know, working on some things and all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up and I'm looking down at these texts and it emails and a 10-year-old girl in our church. She was up in the attic getting out the Christmas tree stand with her parents and, and she fell through the attic 12 feet and landed on her head on the concrete garage floor. And all of a sudden, you know, all these texts are flying, please pray, please pray, please pray. And people from our church rushed down to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and, and, and people, we circled up and praying and, and people were there going in the chapel and at two in the morning, they did emergency surgery. They had a fractured skull and they were all worried, you know, brain damage, paralysis and all these things. And, and the doctors were there and I was talking to the mom and dad, they were just like, we were so scared. So scared. The next day at the hospital, as I was talking, the, the doctor came by, and the doctor said, listen, she's going to make a full recovery. It's not going to be easy, but, you know, there's going to be some rehab and some things to go, but she's going to make a full recovery. And this week, she came home from the hospital. Her family ministry team had gone over and decorated the house with lights. And so when she came in, she saw that. And I was thinking, wow, the light of the world, Jesus, you know, and the hope. But I want to tell you, there's a God who still does miracles today. There's a God who still answers prayers today. There's a God who still brings hope today. Don't miss him. Don't get so familiar and let life just kind of pass you by that you miss Jesus. 
This past week, we had a Bible study. There was a lady her first time, and, and she was there, and, and, and she's reading, and I looked over toward the end, and she had tears coming down her eyes as we were all in this group and discussing and talking about Matthew 1. And, and afterwards, I said, are you okay? And she goes, you know what? It seems like everything's been perfect in my life. You know, I mean, I, here I am, a mom, and I've got a good marriage, and I've got a great job, and I live in Williamson County, but, but there's just been this weight on me, and I haven't figured out what it is until tonight, and she pointed to her Bible, and she said, this is what I'm missing. This is what I've been missing. This is it. And we just stood there, and I was like, yes, yes, yes. Don't miss Jesus this Christmas. Before you overspend and overeat and overconsume and all these things that are going to come, focus on Jesus because God is here. Emmanuel, God with us. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want to invite you just in the moment of prayer. I'm going to invite you to respond back to the Lord, you and him. Not your parents, not your spouse, not your, you, you and the Lord. Because God's here. The divine has come. I'm going to invite some of our A6 guys and, and their wives. Some of these are some of our spiritual leaders. They're just going to be around the room. If you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you, there'll be some staff that are around. You, you can get up from your seat when we're praying and just go over free prayer. It's awesome, right? And invite the God of the universe into your heart, into your life, into your situation. Say, God, come alive in me. Bring the joy of Christmas. Bring the hope and the life of Christmas in me. God's here. Let's bow our head and let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the truth that you're here. In the midst of our fear, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our worry, and even in the midst of our doubt and our guilt, Father, you step in and you bring hope and you bring life and you bring joy and you bring peace because of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. So, Father, invade our hearts this morning. I pray for salvation to come. I pray for some this morning right now who just say, Jesus is Lord. I believe. I pray for others right now, Father, this morning that maybe it's taken a step to be baptized or to get involved in church or to be in a community group or be in a place or even ask for prayer. But Father, this is our time with you. So Lord, speak to our hearts as we respond right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we respond. You're invited to move to the sides. You're invited to pray. But make this a time of you with the Lord right now.